go, Luke chapter five. We have been in a sermon series called Who's Your One? We started uh, last Sunday where we began to ask God to give us one person in 2020 that we are gonna share the gospel with. In your worship guide today, uh, most of you, you should have a, a, just a little card that's in there that you can rip off uh, and that you can take that card. So here, I want you to do this today if God has given you that person. You take that card, you write their name down on it, and in our Welcome Center, uh, there are two walls where you can just take a piece of, uh, we have a little sticky thing, you can stick it up there. And let me tell you what that does for us. It does two things. One, it's a reminder to everyone in this church how many people are trying and striving to share the gospel with somebody in 2020. So it's encouraging to me. Secondly, by putting their name up there, which by the way, I probably wouldn't put like their full name, just throw that out there, maybe throw some initials or coworker or whatever, but here's what another thing that's gonna happen. It allows people to come up here and pray for all the names that are on the board. So there are gonna be times where I just come out and I just get to start praying over all the names of people that we're trying to share the gospel with. And you know what else is gonna happen? It's gonna happen. Somebody is gonna put a name on that board. You are gonna share the gospel with someone in 2020 and they're gonna give their life to Christ. And you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna go take that name off that board and we're gonna stand up there in the baptism waters and say, this person we prayed for, this person we asked God for and today, we get to baptize because we went after and pursued somebody. And so we're, we're going after, we're asking God to help us in that process. Uh, and, and we're praying through this sermon series that God is gonna lead us and, and guide us and, and speak to us. Now, as you're turning there today, we're gonna be looking at a, a very familiar story of uh, where God heals a guy who's, who's paralyzed. And many of us have heard this story. Uh, and by making our way into it, I was playing with our, our two kids. I was doing some work in our backyard and my two kids were playing. And I, I don't know if any other parents are out there like this where you, you're eavesdropping in on your kids' conversations and hearing kinda how they talk to each other when they don't think you're listening. And so my kids were playing and Luke was playing and jumping on the trampoline and rolling around and kicking and fighting and being a boy. And uh, my little girl who she's not maybe the biggest fan of sweating. And so as they were playing, she was kind of cheering him on. And Luke said, oh, oh, I'll go, I'll try to hit this ball and you can cheer for me. And so he would hit something and she would kind of like cheer for him and be like, good hit Luke and good throw Luke. And, and so as we were finishing up and I was coming inside, I said, hey, you know, what were y'all doing? And said, he said, oh, we were playing ball. I stopped for a second. I said, well, Sadie, did you play ball? She's like, yeah, I played ball. I'm like, well, okay, how did you play ball? Well, I, I was cheering for him while he was doing it. Oh, so Luke played ball and you cheered for him. No, 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 we played ball. I'm like, oh, did you hit the ball? Mm-mm. Did you throw the ball? Nope. Did you catch the ball? Nada. Oh, gotcha. So did you play ball? A fear of mine is that we would create a culture where so many people are driven by movements that we think if we are cheering the movement on, we are actually a part of the movement. A fear would be that we'd come to church every Sunday and cheer on people to share the gospel with somebody while we never share the gospel with anybody but tell everyone that we are a part of the movement too. Today you're gonna see a story where God uses some people to bring a, a paralyzed man to, to, to see this person come uh, and, and be healed by the Lord. Now Luke chapter five, if you're looking verse 17, let me go ahead and read through the story in case you, you've never read it or heard of it, that we would begin to grasp or think of what it means for us to be involved 
in Hoosier 1. It says this, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days while, we, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. So all these people from all over the place are hearing about this teacher and they begin to, to gather and, and to sit around him to hear from him and maybe see something that he's gonna do. It says, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and, and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Now, let me stop right here. In my time in ministry, I have had, I cannot tell you how many distractions while I'm preaching. I mean, I, we've had people pass out. I was preaching a funeral and somebody like broke their leg and was like slain, like laid out. And we've had ambulances called. I've had people, you know, get too hot. We've had, you know, somebody throw up in the middle of a sermon. Like there's been all types of distractions. I have never had somebody lowered in from the ceiling while I was preaching. So today we were going to do one of those like YouTube stunts and I was gonna get some like wires from the ceiling. And, and Jason's our new connections pastor, so he's the newest guy on staff. So he's the guy who's gonna have to do it. And we're gonna lower him from the ceiling, like right in the middle to understand kind of like what that would be like. But if you know me, I break everything and it wasn't worth the risk. So we decided, nah, on that one. Could you just, I mean, but picture this. Jesus is sitting there, he's teaching, get crowded around. And all of a sudden, like you see some light come through the ceiling and a man's being lowered down, like right at the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know what guy came up with that. Wouldn't you like to have been like hanging out with the guys? You're carrying them in. And you're like, oh yeah, probably not gonna make it today. And the guy's like, oh no, I got an idea. The roof. <laughs> and then some other dude's like, yeah, <laughs> let's do that, all right? Some of you, you know your dad. You're, some of you are like, yeah, that's my dad. Like he, we, yeah, that would be him. You're coming up with a way and a plan. So they're like, we're gonna drop him in from the roof. And here's Jesus' first word. Jesus' response to this is this. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Uh, what's that have to do with them being paralyzed? What's that have to do with what the issue is? Jesus heals him of his sins. He says, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God? God alone, only God can do this. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Then it says, everyone was astounded and they were given glory to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. I wanna give us a few things I think we can take away as we think about being a people who are involved in, in who's your one. The first one is that these men were on mission. Man, these men were on mission. Think about it. A mission is what drives you. A mission drives you. These men were driven to see their friend who is paralyzed walk. They were driven. I mean, they're like, dude, we're gonna, we've heard this Jesus has power. We heard that he can heal. We are bringing you in there. Crowd is in the way, like whatever it takes. We are driven to do this. Everybody in this room, you are driven by something. 
Some of you, maybe you're driven to be like the best mom in the world. So for you, you wake up thinking mama time and you're driven like that. It drives you. Some of you, you're driven by your your job. Some of you, you're driven by sports. You're driven by music and it, it drives you. Some of you are driven by art and you wake up desiring to create something beautiful and it, it drives you. Your mission drives you. Think about it. Some of you are on Instagram. We got some Instagram people out there. Instagram has a mission. Instagram's mission is to capture and share the world's moments. So everything Instagram does, they are driven to create a platform and an opportunity that is easy for you to capture and to to share the world's moments. So everything they do is about pictures. Everything they've got, Amazon. Anybody Amazon out there? Yeah, Amazon. Let me tell you what happened to Amazon. Amazon's created because some guy tried to go like to a mall. Took him 25 minutes to go to a mall, got into the mall. They bought 18 things that they didn't need and the one thing they needed, it wasn't in the mall. So like, you know what, I think we can do something. How many of you grew up like, and you, you remember when it used to be, you would drive into like the center of town and there's like these window shops and you could go like window shopping, see what you want and go in there and get it. And then they created malls and malls were like, man, it was like the place to be multiple stories, food in the center, and, and what you did on the weekend was really never a question. Uh, we're just going to the mall. We're gonna hang out. That was like the place to be. And then people started realizing, you know what? This is not really the best way that we could shop. I think we could create a better way. So a guy creates Amazon whose mission is this. We strive to offer our customers the lowest possible prices, the best available selection at the utmost convenience. So here's how we're gonna do it. You can stay in your pajamas with a cup of coffee and we're not gonna pay for any like uh, retail space. We're not gonna any brick and mortar buildings. It's gonna be all online. Click what you want. We'll send it to your house. You can even pay for a subscription that'll last the whole year and it'll get to you within like two days and it'll get to your house. And if you don't like it, just send it right back all while still in your pajamas. Some of you know this right now because your garage is still loaded with Amazon boxes. I wish to say like from Christmas, but it's not, it's from January, don't play. Because you Amazon. And the reason you Amazon is because, well, their prices are lower, it's faster, and you can do it in whatever you wanna wear. You don't even have to leave your house. They, they're driven by that mission. And now like Amazon's taking over the world. This mission, it, it drives them. So let me ask you, what drives you? What drives you? Uh, what motivates you? What is driving you to do certain things? Let me ask you on the spiritual side. What is driving you in a kingdom way? Let me ask you this way. What's the last time that you sat down and asked God for like a kingdom goal? We said, this is, I'm driven by God, you doing this thing in your kingdom. And I'm driven to have, to see this happen in children or this happen in students or this happen in college students or this happen in middle Georgia. And so God, because you have given me this goal, I'm gonna be driven to do this thing. What spiritual mission do you have? These men had a mission, and that is that their friend would not be paralyzed anymore. And they heard there's a guy who could do it, and they were driven to make it happen. Church, listen to me. I believe for many of us, we have lost our drive. You lost your drive. And I think there's a reason why, and I'm gonna give you the second point. Now, we're gonna rest here in just a little while. As we think about what your kingdom dreams are, I want you to see that these men, these men had faith-driven expectations. 
Their expectations of what God could do was driven by their faith that he could do something. I mean, think about it. Why would they bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus if they did not believe Jesus could heal him? That makes no sense. You're not gonna do it. And you're surely not gonna take him up to a roof and bring him down up in the middle of the teaching lesson if you did not believe that Jesus could heal him. They actually believed that Jesus could heal the man. So as a result, they took a risk. Could it be that deep down inside, you haven't taken a risk on God in a long time because you've lost your faith that God is actually gonna do anything in the first place. So now that you've lost faith that God's gonna do something, you've now lost your expectations in him. You say something like this, man, this who's your one thing is just another thing that we're trying to do to share the gospel. And, and let's just be honest, I've shared with people before, they all either say they're already a Christian or nobody gets saved. So I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Nothing ever happens in the first place. So what happens is you have so you've lowered your expectations of what could happen spiritually because you've lost faith in who you're going to. I mean, think about it. Think about all the people that God has used in the Bible where they were called to take a risk on God. You know, I think about like Joshua. Joshua in the Bible followed Moses, like one of the greatest leaders ever. And Joshua is following Moses and he's gonna take the people into the promised land. And so he, he crosses over, he's like, all right, in Joshua chapter one, he says, Joshua, you be strong and courageous. By the way, do you know why the Bible's telling Joshua to be courageous? Because he knew that in just a minute, you are gonna have to take a risk on me. You are gonna have to lead a million people who just experienced 40 years of death into take on an enemy who has fortified cities who are in this land who ain't gonna wanna leave. You are gonna have to trust me and have faith in me and I'm gonna call you to take a risk. So here's what he does. God just like breaks him in really slowly, psych. He walks into the promised land and he's looking at Jericho, the most fortified city in the known world at that time, huge walls. So as a new leader, he's gotta have an unbelievable battle plan. Are you ready? Here's the battle plan God gives him. I want you to take the people and I want you to march around the city without saying a single word. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around it. And after you've finished marching around it, how I'm gonna tell you to do it, at the end of it, I want you to let your trumpets loud and I want you to shout really loud. That's it. Now, I want you to imagine being Joshua for just a moment and going, like, that's what you got? That's what you have for me, God? Like, you want me to go back to all these people? I'm like the brand new leader. And I'm like, all right, guys, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this. And then at the end, like, we're gonna yell loud. And it's gonna be amazing. I mean, they're gonna look back at you and you're like, uh, okay, what about like bow and arrows, swords, artillery? Like, what, we gotta take these walls down. Could you imagine the murmuring that Joshua heard for seven days? This guy's lost his rocker. Like, we're following this cat? I would be a way better leader than this. There ain't no way. Joshua took a risk, and guess what happened? After seven days, they let out that roar. They let out, the trumpets were sounded. They screamed, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and we still teach our kids to sing about it today. Why? Not because of who Joshua is, but because Joshua took a risk to trust God. He had faith-driven expectations. God has proven himself to be faithful. Therefore, we will act in expectation that God is going to show up. There's another man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet and he goes on top of this in the midst of a, a drought and he goes on top of Mount Carmel and, and there are all these prophets of Baal. 
And these prophets are like, all right, we're gonna have a showdown. We're gonna show you who, what God is really alive. So they take a bull and they've got this thing and they're like dancing around this altar and we're gonna make a sacrifice. And they're like legit dancing around it. They're singing, they're shouting, they're cutting themselves thinking, man, this is gonna wake it up. And if you don't know anything about the story, Elijah, he's like the ultimate trash talker in the Bible. He's sitting back like, all right guys, like what y'all doing? Y'all still dancing, dance a little bit louder. Hey, maybe your God will wake up, maybe he's sleeping. And then he says, hey, maybe your God is on a potty break. Hang on a second. Maybe he'll get off the toilet and then he can come and like do this. He's talking trash. And there's Elijah, one person against hundreds of false prophets. And then it gets his time. And he's like, yep, you know what? This isn't difficult enough for God. Like a bull and God's got this. Here's what I want you to do in the midst of a drought. I want you to go get a bunch of water and I want you to hike it up this mountain and I want you just to douse this whole thing in water. Fill up a canal around it. I want it to be soaking wet because God is so big and I have such faith in God that I can attempt great things for God and expect great things from him. So they soaked it in water. He got on his knees and he prayed and he said, okay, God, show them the power of your might. And then woof, there it is. Fire came down from heaven, licked it up and nothing was left. It was completely gone. And everyone paused and they said, surely this God is real. This is him. He, he is accurate. He is real. He tested, he put faith in God. He took a risk on God. There's another group of guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon and he's taken over everything, the most powerful guy in the world at that time. Everybody he called to, when the music started playing that they would bow their knee to him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't do it. They wouldn't bow their knee to anybody but God. So when it got that time, they started telling, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, those guys said they're not bowing. Nebuchadnezzar gets off his high horse and comes down and says, look here, boys, here's the deal. You were either, you're gonna either bow to me or I'm gonna throw you in this fiery furnace. We're gonna heat it up as hot as it can go. It got so hot that the men heating it up died because it got that hot. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, look, here's the deal. Either God's gonna come through faithful or we're gonna die and, and that's good, but either way, we will never bow our knee to anybody other than God. So like, all right, here you go. They throw them in the fiery furnace and Jesus steps down in there with them and they don't burn. Matter of fact, so much so that not even a hair on their, their arms were singed and they didn't even smell like they had been burned. Hey, some of y'all in just a minute, you're about to go eat Mexican and in five minutes in a Mexican place, you smell like a burrito, don't lie. When you leave, don't you smell like, I just, I, you know, we know where you ate. Anybody go to a bonfire in the backyard at somebody's house, you've been there five minutes, what do you smell like? A burnt log, that's just what you just, it just got you. Yet they're thrown into the fire and they don't, you, you can't even tell that they've been there, why? Because God miraculously, they had faith in God. They, they trusted in God, they took a risk on God because they had faith driven expectations. You know what though? All those men lived in a time where God had promised them that something was gonna happen and it hadn't happened yet. But we live in a day and age where all the things that God promised, it did happen. He promised there would be a Messiah and he came. He promised that he would die for our sins and he did. He promised that he would rise from the dead and Jesus did that. As a result, because we live on this side of the resurrection, how much more should we expect great things from God? How much more should we expect God to, to move in a big way that we're willing and ready to take a risk on God? So let me ask you, when's the last time you've taken a risk on God. When's the last time you said, God, you're faithful 
and you're good and you've called me to it and your word said it. Therefore, we are gonna expect you to show up and we're gonna step out faith driven and we're gonna go for this. We're gonna believe that God is gonna move and he is gonna save and he is gonna heal. See, some of you in your mind, you've already began to say something like, well, this just ain't possible. This ain't gonna happen. So we should play it safe. Maybe what we need more than anything is not a really cool program or a new way. Maybe we need God to heal us of our unbelief. Maybe we just need God to come in and heal the church of our unbelief. We've stopped believing that Jesus will save, that he will show up. Well, he did miracles back then. He's doing miracles today. He wants to do it. Do we have the faith to trust him? Let's allow our faith in God and our expectations of his working to move us into action. It's not just about talking about it. It's about saying, okay, God, because they had faith, they threw that joke on a stretcher and they brought him from the roof. Now, let me tell you something else I see in them. And I think it's important for us. Not only did they have this faith that moved them into action, but man, these guys, they were hit with an obstacle. Often we think of like something like some of you right now, you're like, that's it. Like I'm fired up, boy. You're writing a name down on a sheet of paper. You're ready to roll. Some of you right now, like in the sermon, I'm about to put a name on a wall. I'm ready to go. And then you're going to go get in your car and it's going to have a flat tire while it was parked in the church parking lot somehow. You're going to go home and and you're going to try something and something's going to break in your home. You're going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to have the most Monday of Mondays you've ever had in work. And you're gonna get hit with an obstacle. You're gonna get hit with a difficulty. You're gonna get hit with a trial. And we have to decide what are we gonna do when we're hit with a trial. You know what happens? See, the crowd was blocking them from getting to Jesus. The crowd was stopping them from accomplishing it. So here's what many of us would do. Are you ready? Do not lie. I have said this right here. I have said this. I have. I've said this very thing. I've said something like this. Well, you know what? All these people are in the way. I guess this isn't what Jesus wants for me today. I guess Jesus has shut that door and Jesus, God will shut doors. No man can open. He'll open doors. No man can shut. And today, I guess he shut that door. I'm going to just go on, head back home. Maybe tomorrow you get to be healed. How many of us have said something like that? You know why? Let me tell you why. Because there's a false teaching that we have allowed to creep in where we have said something like this. Are you ready? That Jesus will equals the path of least resistance. The will of God is the path of least resistance. Well, you know, this is difficult, this is hard, so maybe this isn't God's will. Whoever said that God was not gonna lead us to a place where it's gonna be difficult or hard, where we were not gonna have to overcome obstacles? They didn't stop it like, eh, guess God doesn't want us to. You know what they said? All right, well, now what? Because we know we want our boy getting healed today. So now what are we gonna do? Y'all gonna bust up through this crowd or are we going through the roof? But today, our joker's gonna get the opportunity to get healed and he's gonna get the opportunity to walk out of this place. What are we gonna do? You see, what happens in the church is we get punched a little bit. Like life comes at you, things get difficult. And we're just like, yeah, that's it, gotta shut it down. Like that's it, like it's hard. I just, maybe this ain't what I'm supposed to do. You're ministering, you're trying, you try to serve and it gets a little difficult. And you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe this ain't what God wants. Maybe it's exactly what God wants. And he's, he's now gonna overcome an obstacle for the glory of God. Let me ask you this, maybe this way. What obstacle has derailed you from the mission of God? And as a result, what roof do you need to dig a hole in for your life to overcome that obstacle for the glory of the Lord? Everybody's got it. Right now, for some of you, for our church to accomplish, hey, you know what? Every church has a roof. We have a ceiling that prevents us from getting to where we need to go. And if we're gonna be the church that God wants us to be, we're gonna have to dig some holes in the roof. 
not like for real like this one, but stick, stick with my metaphor. Some of y'all like legit just looked up and I wish I could have videotaped that. You're like, <laughs> like Shirley Hills is going up, boy. We're going for a third deck up here. Uh, metaphorically, there are things that will try to prevent us from accomplishing the mission and we've got to be willing to overcome whatever obstacle is thrown our way. So for you, man, what is it? What area? It, maybe it's you need to be healed of disbelief that God can actually do it or maybe for you, you just need to look at this thing and say, you know what? What way over this or around this? But either way, we're gonna move forward for the glory of God because he wants to heal. This is why he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Let me give you the fourth thing today we can think through, and that is this. These men, they experience more than they could ever imagine. These men, they just thought, man, we're gonna get our guy healed. I mean, they're thinking if he gets healed and walks today, today is gonna be amazing. I mean, like, this is gonna be, woo, this is gonna be crazy. Could you imagine if he gets up and walks out of here? That's gonna be awesome. So we're gonna lower him from the roof and, and that's gonna be cool. But what happens? Instead, it, it, it takes an alternate route. Jesus just doesn't say, hey, let me get you up and walk. Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna heal you of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. I'm sure the guys are up on the roof going, what did he say? He said his sins are forgiven. We want him to walk. Uh, where'd that come from? You see, they got way more than they could ever expect. You see, often we find ourselves in our life settling for the mundane when Jesus wants to do the miraculous. You're like, I just would have settled for him to walk. So Jesus says, hey, what's easier in your minds? He said, hey guys, what do you think would be easier for me to say with my mouth, hey, you're, you're forgiven of your sins or for me to say, get up and walk? And they're thinking, well, anybody can say your sins are forgiven you, but that doesn't mean it's so. So Jesus says, so I tell you what, here's what I'm gonna do. Not only am I gonna heal you of your sins, I'm gonna show that the son of man has the authority to, to forgive your sins by making you get up and walk. So hey, get up and walk out of here. And then once again, it uses the phrase that it used with the disciples. And immediately he got up and walked. And I love this. And he took his mat and he walked out of there. Let me ask you, why do you think he took his mat? I mean, if it's me and I've been laying on that mat, can you imagine what that mat smelled like? Can you imagine what that mat would be like? And, and, and I'd leave that junk right there. Hey, here's your lesson, boys. Empty mat, <laughs> I'm walking. He just healed me. He took his mat. Why do you think he took his mat? Because he wanted to remind everybody, I'm the guy who was laying on this mat. I'm not telling you of a story that happened to somebody. Hey, I'm the guy who was sitting on this mat over here by the gate. I'm that guy. He healed me. And they were in awe. It says once he did this, they were in awe of him. Not only because he made him stand up and walk, but because now maybe he does have the authority to forgive of sins. You see, often we think that what would solve our problem would be a physical change. I know what'll do, I know what'll help us. If we just change these physical things, I'm gonna, and can I tell you, I've been in ministry now for a, a pretty good while. I've been in, in multiple different churches and, and been able to preach for a while. And, and I'll tell you, there's something that I'm tired of that I just don't want really any other part of the rest of my, my ministry. And that is the thought that if we can just make some physical adjustments, that'll bring the change that we need in our life or even in our church. You say something like this, oh man, I know it'll change my life. I'm just gonna do this better. I'm just gonna wake up earlier. I'm, I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna fix my life. Hey, listen to me. The reason Jesus used this story is because he wanted us to see that we can't fix our life. Jesus didn't wanna fix his physical problem. Jesus wanted to fix his heart problem. Our greatest need 
in the church and for anyone in life is for the internal posture of our heart to be transformed. It's not that we'd clean up somebody's life and they would look better. Oh, I just want you know, my nephew or someone just to clean their life up and just to, you know, their life just to be better. Some of you, you might be fine with selling for someone's life just to look cleaner, but our life can look clean on the outside and Jesus said we're like whitewashed tombs full of death on the inside. Jesus did not come to pretty him up and make him walk just so he could feel better. Jesus came to heal us from the inside out. And when Jesus addressed the deeper need, it says they left in awe and wonder. You wanna know what the world wants? They don't want any more physical changes. They don't want any more facades or fake things. They want people who've truly been transformed by the power of God and to see something real and all in wonder. And we exist to tell them, Jesus saved me. And now I can tell you about him because I'm the guy who was dead on the mat that he made me spiritually get up and walk. I'm the guy who is dead in my trespasses and sins that he made alive together. You see, these men, they experience more than they could ever imagine in church. How true of that is it for each and every one of us? I've experienced so much more in Jesus than I could have ever imagined. I thought at that youth camp that I was just giving my life to Christ and I was gonna get heaven forever. And I just thought, man, this is, this is, this is, gonna, this is pretty cool, like I'm saved. Now, I had no clue what that meant and all the goodness that was getting ready to be poured out on my life through his son, Jesus Christ. Hey, we get far more than we could ever imagine and so is our community and so are the nations. Man, there is so much goodness in Jesus, so far better than we could ever imagine and we just gotta do our best to bring him to him to present them to Christ and to let Christ change their life. Now, we could ask questions, you know, which ways have Christ changed your life or, or, or why would we not wanna see this transformation in others? I wanna close with this. The Southern Baptist Convention sent out this sermon series to all of our churches because we all want to see a deeper, a deeper desire and hunger amongst the church to see the lost saved. In a book, called People Sharing Jesus by a guy named Daryl Robinson. He shares this and, and they actually sent this out to all the pastors thinking and hoping that maybe we would relay some of this to our people. But I tell you, I just wanna read the whole thing. So here's how I wanna close. So just listen, listen to this excerpt from his book about being a people that share Jesus with others. And let's ask the Lord, are we going to be involved in, in his mission? Listen to what he says. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. And in fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, their abundance of fish and how they might go about the task of fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation and they declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of a fisherman. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, for new and, and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large buildings called fishing headquarters. And the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. But the one thing they did not do, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized the board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. 
They hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, and decide what new streams, what uh, should be thought about. The staff and the committee members, they just didn't fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built with uh, whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered in the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and were given the fishing license and they were hoping for, that they had been hoping for. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with many fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and prayed over and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so that the fish would know the difference between a good and a bad fisherman. Others felt that simply letting the fish know that they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were were surely enough. Now it's true that many fishermen sacrificed. They put up with all kinds of difficulties and some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every single day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen. Yet, they never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen at all. No matter how much they claim to be, yet it did sound correct, is a person really a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? or more plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? Year after year, we can do all kinds of stuff, but I pray that our mission drives us to be fishers of men. Everyone in this room has somebody ready to hear the good news of the gospel. And I can preach about it, I can talk about it, I can tell you cool methods how to do it. I can give you scripture to memorize so that you can tell them how to do it. But at the end of the day, what the world is really looking for is a fish who's been caught to tell everyone else how good it is to be caught by the Son of God. One person said evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. We have found the bread of life in Jesus Christ. And now we've been called and commissioned and sent to be fishers of men. I pray that God would forgive us. He'd forgive us of the times where we've not trusted him or had faith that he's willing and wants to move and that God would give us a white, hot hunger and passion to be fishers of men. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would forgive us as, as a kingdom, as a church, as a people for being focused and distracted and doing so many things, yet not doing the one thing you have called us to do, to follow you, and we will be fishers of men. Would you create a hunger and a passion and a people at Shirley Hills 
who will go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ, that we will throw our nets in faith knowing that you are God who can heal and will heal and does heal, that you are a mighty, awesome, powerful God. Lord, give us a people of great faith who will step out and attempt great things from you and expect great things from you. Lord, we love you, we need you, we ask for your help in these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand together? Our pastors are gonna be down front. We're gonna sing together. Maybe you're here and you just wanna come and pray. Man, our altar's open. You can pray anywhere up here. You guys come and pray. But maybe you're here and you'd say, you know what? Man, I wanna join in Shirley Hills. I wanna be a part of a people that wanna make the name of Jesus known. I wanna join in. Our pastors would love to help you join our church. But you know what? Maybe some of you are here and the true invitation for you today is Jesus is calling your name. You see, today you are the one who can't spiritually walk. And God has brought you in to hear his teaching. And today he doesn't just wanna heal you physically, today he wants to say your sins are forgiven. Get up and, and walk. Maybe today God's calling you. Our pastor's gonna be down front to help you. We'd love to help you in any way possible for you to leave this place knowing that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're gonna sing together. Our altars are open. You guys come.